Welcome to another episode of Pep Talks. On this episode, we'll be talking to Dana, Susan, and Greg of Aldine Independent School District in Houston, Texas. Recently, Aldine was affected tremendously by Hurricane Harvey and the after effects. Learn how the Aldine Child Nutrition staff came to the rescue. I'm Cheyenne Meyer. And I'm Jonathan Bay. And this is Pep Talks, a child nutrition podcast. Hello and welcome. So let's start with an intro today. Who do we have with us? Dana Sheffield, Executive Director. Susan D'Amico, Director. Greg Allegra, Director. Dana, Susan, and Greg. Awesome. So how long have each of you worked with Aldine Child Nutrition Services? I have worked for Aldine for about 27 years. Wow, 27 years. Yes, I've been here less than a year, but I have 22 years experience. And Greg, how about you? Uh, this is my 18th year with the district. Wow, so over over 60 years of combined experience here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So most people don't just wake up, or, or most people don't just decide in high school that they're going to get into child nutrition. So can you guys each tell me how you made your way into the child nutrition industry? I was teaching at the time, and I taught for 10 years, and the last area I taught in was actually culinary arts and never wanted to get a teaching degree. My parents forced me to, but I also had a minor in business and always loved the food service world, but just never knew what area I wanted to go into and then discovered child nutrition and have loved it ever since. Main reason, you know, it's, it's what we do every day to serve our students, but there's such a network of people around the country. For me, I started out majoring in business, got an associate's degree in business, and then in my third year of college, decided I wanted to go health-related. So I decided to become a registered dietitian. And then once I did my internships, I saw that the most interesting internships were in food service. And it also allowed me to use my business uh, background. And then I went back and got my master's in health education and then did all my electives in the MBA program. And Greg, uh, you want to tell us about you? I didn't dream of working with uh, child nutrition. Uh, even though my degree is in engineering and my previous work was in uh, construction, when I immigrated to the United States, uh, the only job I could find at that time was uh, a service tech. So I started as a service tech with one of the service company in Houston and ended up servicing Aldine Child Nutrition. Used to be here every week working on their equipment. Finally, Dana hired me. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, <laughs> ending up as a director right now. So you guys know nutrition. Well, let's talk operations. How many lunches and breakfasts do you serve daily? About 35,000 breakfast meals and about 55,000 lunch meals. And which nutrition programs does Aldine currently participate in? The school breakfast program, the national school lunch program, the after school care program, alias you know, snack program, the evening meal program at middle and high schools and the summer 
program for all schools. So when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, the Aldean area, along with many others, suffered a lot of devastation. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that impacted you? Sure. As an operations department, we are immediately called after some disaster, such as a hurricane. So we are instructed to secure our families and then be ready to, to work. So we were called immediately, well, sort of still during all the rain that was occurring because the district had a Red Cross shelter in one of its facilities, but they had no food resources. So we were called to provide meals to one shelter and then a day or two after two shelters. So what did the Child Nutrition Department do to prepare for this event? Well, we did not know (laughs) that we were going to, you know, be asked to produce food for the shelters. So there was not really any preparation ahead of time. But when we were called, I managed to to have Susan and Greg and a couple of other people on that first day. And obviously we have food at the schools. It was still raining. We have a facility here. We can prepare the food. So that was the first thing. We had to secure food. And so we had to go to schools and get that food in the pouring rain and then come back here and prepare it. Aldine really became an emergency shelter for the families in the community. Who all had to evacuate their homes? Really hard to say, just depended upon the area, you know, and how how high the, the water was. So it depends upon the neighborhood. So I'm not sure how many people, you know, had to evacuate. The most meals we ever had to do, we had at one point, wasn't it about 1,100 in one shelter and about 300 in another shelter. Wow. So what steps did you take as opening as a shelter for those families? We didn't open as a shelter. The Red Cross opened as a shelter. We just provided the facility and we would prepare the food and ship it over to the facility, which is really just across the street from our office. Who was able to get to the facility to help with serving the evacuees, and how did you get there with so many of the roads underwater? It started out pretty slow. We had four people the first day, and uh, people, you know, couldn't get out of their homes. And big box trucks would come and pick us up and take us home at night. So how did you manage to feed so many people with so few helping hands? You just keep cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we hit the ball a few times. I mean, really, there were moments when we were exhausted. There was no air in the kitchen. So we were literally... The first day. Oh, yeah. The, the very first day, no air, and only four of us. And we needed to feed over a 1,000 people. And we just kept cooking and cooking. And we look at each other and realize we only had about half as much as what we needed. And we just knew we had to keep going. But they, but they needed to, to eat. And we have, you know, a lot of equipment. We can produce a lot of food. And so the equipment is a big part of it. Yes, you do need people, but the number of people doesn't always guarantee the amount of food that you produce. It's, it's the equipment as well. That was our biggest challenge in the beginning was getting the food to this kitchen so we could prepare it. Uh, trying to figure out where we could get to the back door without the car, the, well, I should say the truck stalling out 
that we were in to go get food. Sometimes in our darkest or scariest moments in life, it helps to find humor to keep our spirits light. Are there any funny stories that you can share from your experiences post-Harvey? We had actually a lot of good laughs when we thought, you know, we were so hot and so tired. We would take selfies of, uh, of ourselves <laughs> making pizza or cooking food. And, uh, you know, you just keep going. You're kind of on an adrenaline rush, you know, by that time. Because as soon as we would finish with one meal, we would have to think of, okay, what are we going to feed them tonight? Yeah. Or what are we going to yeah. feed them tomorrow morning for, for breakfast? Yeah, I mean, we, we looked like drowned rats from the very first day. And then um, all of our makeup melted off. We, you know, we tried that first morning, but all our makeup melted off with no air. And then the wind whipped up my hair. Uh, I teased them and told them I had a full on Afro, which I just about did. But uh, we, we laughed about it. We, we all looked like we'd been through the ringer. Well, you know, in Houston, we've got some pretty humid weather most of the time. So a lot of us have Afros. <laughs> Riding in the truck, Dana thought she was going to get whiplash because we in oh, a box that truck. truck was terrible. That yeah. box <laughs> truck is not me the ride. Let me tell you. If you want the ride of your life, yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. knock you all over. I it didn't it. feel like you guys were riding in a parade float. No, no. not at all. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, our bodies were sore for several days. <laughs> <laughs> so the Texas Department of Agriculture or the TDA, stepped in to serve free meals to all students following Hurricane Harvey, and even granted an extension to continue serving those free meals through October 31st. How did receiving that assistance affect your students and staff? Um, it, was a, it was really a positive impact. Um, actually, TDA reached out to USDA um, prior to the storm or at the onset of the storm, and, and USDA is the one that you know granted that that permission for the affected counties in in Texas, and so TDA really stayed in great communication with school districts about resources, about support, and of course you know the meals, free meals being being one of them, because students and families were displaced, homeless people, you know e even infants, people were leaving their homes without any baby formula we had to find baby formula you know nothing was open and so you you have to meet all of the the needs but when kids came back to school you know that was one less stress for parents that they could come into the school and you know have free breakfast and and lunch and during the time when you guys were were serving the emergency shelter were you able to claim reimbursement on those meals no we cannot claim reimbursement uh, on those meals because they're not students. You know, there, there were adults there, there were, you know, infants there, families. We were able to use USDA foods in those shelters, but we were not able to claim those meals. Got it. And did you guys receive any additional assistance from maybe outside organizations or people from the local community to help you carry out these operations? Sure, the district received an outpouring of assistance local companies, you know, like HEB, SAMS, just all sorts of things during during the storm. And then we also had graduates that are now, for instance, NFL, you know, football players who sent 
18 wheelers to Aldine, you know, to donate goods and, and products that people needed. The district set up a store where any of our employees could go in and just get anything they wanted. They could get clothing, they could get cleaning supplies, they could get, you know, personal products, they could get food. And so the outpouring from from the community and really from our vendors to our particular child nutrition vendors were very, very uh, good to us as far as communication and our produce company obviously couldn't keep the produce that they had in storage because it would expire. And so along with donating that produce to the food shelter, we were able to, to get some as, as well. And then also I would like to add that not only did we have food production for the shelters, after the shelter closed, our school district wanted to make sure that each area of the district was still taken care of. And so we had four schools who the district decided to open these four schools for three days and we served breakfast and lunch to anyone from that area who wanted to enter both you know adult and and children they could come and eat breakfast they could come and eat lunch for no cost so obviously you can be somewhat prepared for an emergency but i'm sure neither of you expected an, an emergency of this magnitude so what advice would you give for people who are facing an emergency situation similar to this one especially in their nutrition operations and i would say the other thing to, to keep in mind is how they prepare. How would you react to, to such an emergency of this magnitude? We have actually been through, um, you know, storms before. We did not have to operate shelters. This storm, the impact was water. A storm previous to this, it was electricity and, and some, some water. So contact numbers are crucial, you know, in how to, to reach people. We could reach people, but they could not necessarily leave their neighborhoods because of you know surrounding water. So we, we do have a process in place to secure our building, to secure equipment, and the district now has put plans in place for the next time a storm does happen, there will be specific locations w that will be set up as shelters we will hopefully have time to stock those with with food. We hopefully would have enough staff there, but you just never know until it happens, just depending upon if people can, you know, leave their, their homes. We actually had a vehicle drown on the oh, way yeah. <laughs> on the way trying to pick up an employee to come in. So it it is it, it was a little scary at times driving through the high water. I, I do have to say that made us nervous, but we also still have people who are still living with their neighbors that, that still aren't even in their homes yet. I think a lot of people in other parts of the U.S. feel like Harvey is over, but for a lot of people here, it's still going on. So I know you said, you know, it's it's still going on for people, but now that Harvey, you know, has passed and we're trying to return back to normal, how is everything going? As far as, I guess, returning back to normal in your operations, uh, you know, or getting, getting back on track? It's really a process for any school district to stop and then restart. People think it's just a matter of announcing, you know, a return start date and you, you know, 
turn the lights on and unlock the buildings. But for us, you know, we have so much strategic planning to do because we have to contact our vendors. We have to look at menus. We have to contact staff to see if there are enough staff to come back to work. So as soon as we stopped the feeding shelters, there was so much planning. It took us almost a week to plan that return date and, and the start of it. And once you begin, with the exception of, you know, a few people being absent because of their personal situation, things get back to normal. Yeah, we also had a lot of food that had to be destroyed, like moldy bread, overripe bananas, produce, um, yeah. yeah, lots of produce, milk, different things like that, that the staff had to come in and clean everything up and, and order more groceries based on what was spoiled. And so that created other situations. We've also had to work a lot on paperwork for FEMA to let them know what our losses were. And we are getting the value of the USDA foods replaced through commodities, but we still have a lot of other expenses uh, that we're working on claims for that. Greg, you've been pretty quiet throughout this podcast. Is there anything that you want to add in? During the storm, we only lost power on two schools and, uh, the, you know, the walk-in and freezer, you know, we lost all the food on those two schools. In addition to that one, we have one school that got flooded, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this school is uh, slated to be closed next year, but Harvey helped us to close it this year. Yeah, it's so an it's old, old facility. So, you know, as far as loss in our schools, in our cafeterias, you know, we, we had obviously some food loss, but compared to Hurricane Ike, uh-huh. uh, we lost 27 freezers during that storm because of no electricity. So this right. was this was a lot better. Yeah. Okay, so is there anything at this time that anybody else would like to add? You know, it's it's something that you can't anticipate going through, but you know, you you make it through and and just people just really come come together. We had so much support from the district. I mean, the superintendent, members of the board were helping us you know, prepare yeah, food and make sandwiches. So it's really a good opportunity for them to really see, you know, what, what we do on a day and what our staff does on a daily basis. Very well worded. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate you joining us and we're glad that things are starting to get back to normal for you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. You and stay Houston strong. Uh, <laughs> see you guys. Bye. We'd like to thank Susan, Dana, and Greg for joining us on this podcast and sharing how they managed to stand up to Hurricane Harvey. Although you can never truly be prepared for an emergency situation, such as a disaster where you lose power, remember that Premier Wedge is a web-based solution, and all data will be updated as soon as a connection is reestablished. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts like this one, head on over to PremieroEdge.com forward slash podcast. If you're more of a blog reader, you can check out premierwedge.com forward slash blog and check out all the blogs that we've posted on our website. If you're more of a social media person, you can also check us out on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search Primero Edge. Signing off for this episode, I'm Jonathan Bay. I'm Cheyenne Meyer, and that was your full serving of child nutrition.